<laughs> do you know you stick your tongue out when you go to get water? Like a small animal. I do, or people you in do. general? I don't think I do that. Well, you know now I'm going to be sure to look. You know why I keep that picture of Marilyn up there? Not a clue. Look at her. I'm looking. She's not perfect there. Look at her belly. Yeah, see, we've been over this a hundred times. Those aren't things I'm going to notice. I was thinking that it was this longing gaze down from atop a building at all of the hustle and bustle of New York City. And no, you it's so that when I'm getting ready in the morning, I can remember that even Marilyn Monroe wasn't perfect. And that as much as I would like to look like that, like her, that even she wasn't perfect. But I don't think it mattered to her. And I wish it didn't matter to me as much. I don't think it mattered to anybody. It was a way different time. Yeah, it's true. You ready to do this? Let's roll, baby. <laughs> Three, two, one. Shut up and sit down. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the 10 Days and Counting podcast. I'm Stephen. And I'm Lee. And we've got a couple questions today we're going to be going over. Uh, if you missed last week's podcast episode, <laughs> that would be episode one. People can count backwards. Hopefully. Uh, there was a brief introduction of who we are, where we came from, where we've been a little bit, uh, a little bit of humor, and... Uh, so today we're actually going to dive in to a couple questions we received. I from think we should. Uh, I think I need to tell you a story before we dive in. Because I love a good story. I was on my way to work this morning. Apparently, it's all over Twitter, so you may have already seen it. It's probably old news to anyone listening, but I thought it was hysterical. Oh, hold on. Did what? you see this on Twitter or? No, no, no. I was going to say because you're not a Twitter person. I'm not a Twitter tweeter, twiddle dee dee twiddle. I'm not, but. I just heard like when that I heard it on the radio, they were saying it's all over Twitter. So I'm just gotcha. saying anyone who follows Twitter's probably already seen it and it's it's old news. But for me it was new and you may have heard it, you can tell me. But apparently I don't know why it just came out today, but apparently like ten days ago, a woman woke up in the middle of the night from a I think it was Canadian Air flight that she had been on. And she had been left on the plane and sealed up, closed up on the plane. I was going to say sealed up like like in a coffin? Well, basically, it's just like a big metal coffin with wings, a very large metal coffin. But it was a. But when you say sealed up, it sounds like it was on purpose. Have you been in a plane? They seal them. They shut the door and then they and they like vacuum you inside it. it. They were sealed up in the plane. They couldn't get out. Couldn't get out. Okay. So she it was pitch this black. This Can- Air Canada? Yes. We are not flying Air Canada ever. Well, I, I'm thinking that this probably will not happen again after this. But anyway, she she completely she completely woke up in the pitch black dark and um, 
her she facetimed her friend immediately why she didn't just call her because that would have used much less battery so there was like zero common sense involved there because as soon as she facetimed her friend the battery went dead and she had no way to communicate with anyone so then she started plugging in her phone into all the outlets and she of course duh the plane's off so she couldn't get any power and so then she got into the cockpit, found a flashlight. She was trying to wave the flashlight around and, you know, make some sort of SOS signal. Couldn't get anybody to help her there. Figured out with the flashlight how to open the actual door to the plane. But then she's dangling like 30 or 40 feet in the air. Can't get out of the plane. And then she discovers and then somebody sees her that's um, like a grounds crewman that's there after hours. So nobody had come on to clean the plane. I guess it was the last flight of the day. And then they must have cleaned them in the morning instead and apparently didn't check all of the seats. And apparently I feel like I'm a large enough woman. Somebody would have spotted me. So she must have been this little (laughs) tiny girl is all I can figure out. So she um, and now. But here's but here's the other thing. How how do you stay asleep when everyone is getting off the plane because you know like there there's there's hatches opening I people are getting luggage know. maybe she was in the back maybe she had on earbuds earplugs in i don't know but maybe she drank too much and <laughs> totally passed out maybe she did see that's the part of the story you don't hear the thing is is now she's claiming like PTSD. I mean, I don't think she's necessarily using that language necessarily, but basically saying that she's having nightmares and waking up. And so I'm sure there's big lawsuit coming. Well, of course there is, because that's the day and time that we live in. Speaking of airplanes, I know I'm talking a lot. I'll give you your time. But Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Two forty five six four, whatever he is. If big you tell dude. me he fell asleep on a plane and they closed him up, I'm gonna No, but <laughs> the fool was coming back from Paris and somehow did not get a ticket or a proper normal Cam Newton first class ticket. So he ended up in coach in a regular coach seat with his legs up around his throat. And knew that he didn't have enough cash to offer someone in first class because because apparently this 10 hour flight from Paris, like if you're in first class, is like a ten thousand dollar ticket. Lord. So, yeah. So he decided. Wait, wait, he, but, and he had no way to pay for it. No, he, it's just that he either missed his flight or and had to get on another flight. And so he couldn't get where he would normally sit, which would be first class because he's a billionaire. So he ended up. To having to sit and coach because there was nothing else available. So I don't know how he ended up in this in this situation. So that was the only seat available on the next plane uh, or what, whatever what I'm the saying. next flight. Yeah, I don't know if he missed his flight or if he just you know needed to get back. I feel like you should go back and rehash they this ha- story. They had none of that information. They didn't have any of the details. They All didn't right. know. They didn't understand why he ended up in coach either. So I don't understand why he ended up in coach. Well, but carry on. the way he, way he ended up in coach is he didn't plan properly. He apparently needed to get back sounds quickly. Like, sounds like something Cam Newton would. I don't know anything about him, but um, nonetheless, he went to the to the bulkhead to the very first part of coach where you had that extra leg room with the exit row and everything is and offered whoever was sitting there fifteen hundred dollars in cash. There's actually a video and he's like, um, you can see him. He's got on this weird hat coming back from like Paris Fashion Week or something. And he's like um, wanting to know if they would switch seats with him. So this is a 10 hour flight. 
and they tell him no. And so Good you for have them. to see him like he turns and like sheepishly walks back to his seat. And there was just something about someone so entitled being told no by somebody else oh, that yeah. I just thought it was great. I would have paid 1500 to be on that flight just to see all that. <laughs> so, yeah. So he ended up having to sit with his little knees around his throat for 10 hours. But yeah, Cam Newton's not he's not one of my favorite people. He uh, do you remember that Netflix special that was about it was I think it was called Second Chance You, where it was those yeah. the football players, mm-hmm. all the football players that were like in Division One schools that had gotten scholarships or something. And then had gotten in trouble, and so now they were going to this junior college to try to make yeah. their way back. Well, he took that same path. He he apparently he was in oh not the, he not was on that show he right just was, I not gotcha. necessarily that show, but the same kind of path. He he messed up in I can't remember what university he was at to begin with, but ends up at a junior college. And of course, I mean you got to give him his props. The the talent that he has. I mean he shined like a diamond at this junior college, and so then he ends up. Uh, Back in Division One, obviously back in, you know, makes it to the NFL and all this. And I just find that there's no sense of remembering where you came from and, and you know, what, what you had to go through to get back. Like, there's no sense of humbleness or, um, I don't I know. I think it's the, easy to forget where you came from when you... I think it's easy even just as um, day-to-day Americans remembering those of us who started out super-duper poor and now we have good jobs. It's hard to even remember, you know, living that way. I mean, I've lived in a trailer till I was seven. I don't – it's hard to remember that time in my life, but I, it's like I've told you before, it was my very favorite time in my whole life, I think, probably zero to seven. Yeah, see, I did – I lived in one from – I think from the time I was seven until I was 14 and I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I loved it. It was it like really a little mansion. Do, yeah. I really had nothing to do with the trailer. Uh, it was where the trailer was and the people that were in the trailer park, but there's not, not a lot of good memories. My dad there. made our little trailer, a perfect little paradise. Also, my brother was born when I was seven. I don't know if there's any correlation. there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the whole Cam Newton thing. I mean, I just, I mean, he's one of many, you know, I mean, he's not, I don't mean for this to turn into the bash Cam Newton. No, he may be, uh, he may be a great show, guy. Like, we don't know him. So well, we're I'm, I'm sure him from he is, afar. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he, he, he donates to charities and, you know, helps out communities and things like that. But, you know, at the same time, it's like. We are not condoning that you talk about people. We're here to help people. <laughs> so uh, now I feel kind of bad. No, uh, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things. I mean, I think I think we're allowed to comment on stuff like that. And and, uh, you know, it's it's a shame that he could not get his first class ticket. That would have been a bargain, too, because what you said, they're like normally 10 grand and he well, was trying no, no, to get one for 1500 first class ticket. He just was trying to move to the front row of coach. Oh, where there yes. was no other seats in front of Correct. him. Correct. But the, gotcha. ar- the article actually says he was trying to get a first class ticket, but many people commented that's not first class, that's coach. He, The person that wrote the article didn't even realize what he was talking about, uh, but it actually was just like the exit row, front row of coach gotcha. where he got that bit of extra leg room or whatever. Gotcha. But yeah, I had that happen to me with a big, tall FBI agent who wouldn't let me sit in my seat. And he said, there's no real reason for a sign seating. This is a very short flight, and I'm too tall for you to sit in your seat. And I didn't stand up to him. But he was like 6'4". How long ago was this? Not very long ago. It was on a little business trip, and I had to get on a... Like since we've been married? I think so, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I would have totally had that dude thrown out the plane. Well, you know, I'm very sweet. You know that. I don't I wouldn't I don't know if that was you being sweet. Well, I just I kind of looked at him and thought, you know, he's kind of right. He's really, really tall. This is like a 25 minute flight and he would be miserable. And there's no and it wasn't like there was a real difference. in it was a really tiny plane. But anyway, right. But here's what I would have said. You know what, sir? You have a point. Here's what I think you should have done. He should have asked. He should have been a little bit nicer about the whole thing, especially. I'm sure he thought because he was an FBI agent, he was also entitled. Again, it's an entitlement issue. Cam Cam Newton, FBI agent. (laughs) Moving right along. Maybe we should try to help somebody since we've been talking about people. That'd probably be a good idea. (laughs) That's why we started this podcast, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, we, we got a question from Ella. She's from Austin, Texas. And her question said, is love enough? And she expounds a little and says, what do you do when you find yourself wanting a divorce, but the person that you're married to is insistent on making the marriage work by stating isn't love enough? Are you going to, is it? I feel like I've been chatting a lot. You have been, you've been quite the chatty Kathy. Well, I'll let you go and then I'll totally fine though. And then I'll, I'll let you start and then I'll interrupt you when necessary. Yeah. Well, obviously the person that we're that we're referring to is I would say is the man in this relationship, right? Like probably Yeah, Ella's the one asking the question yeah, yeah. about So yeah. that's a typical man response, in my opinion. I've used it. I mean, I'm gonna be totally honest with you. I have used that same language in in relationships in the past. You should be ashamed. I am ashamed. I absolutely am ashamed. Um and this man and this man should be ashamed. Uh because it's a cop out. It's not being willing to face uh whatever issues the is ella his spouse oh yeah they're gonna divorce yes. they're married Duh. <laughs> um, <laughs> um he's a bright one mm-hmm. uh so yeah um it, it's a cop-out and you know if if you're if your husband is saying that to you or your boyfriend is saying that to you um, I would, I would not even in, indulge in a conversation because this is a person who is not willing to, uh, be accountable for their actions. And, um, they're actually trying to place the blame on you for not being understanding of how much they love you. Like there's, just, it's just trying to bring the, the ball back in your court and make you, uh, it sounds like they're trying to basically say, isn't love enough for how much I've put you through? So not how much they love them. It's it's like, don't you love me enough, regardless of what I've done or what we've been through? Isn't love enough for us to stay married? So, yeah, no, it's it, but, uh, but well, yeah, I mean, I get it. But I mean, it's still not because there's an aspect of love. I mean, there's there's different things that that are components of love. Right. Um and we don't have time to go into all of those things, but I would say that one of those things is accountability. And unless you can be accountable for the things that you've done, then that relationship is not going to last. I mean, this is like a this is like a pit stop on the road to an ultimate divorce or separation. I mean, you're just prolonging the inevitable. I totally agree. If someone is using that line as a tool, um, then it's a form of manipulation. And they're not, uh, first of all, I have said many times that love is a choice and love is an action. So you you love choose is a verb. Love is a verb. 
an action verb. So you choose to love someone. And by doing that, that means that when those ushy gushy feelings go away after a couple of years or for some a couple of months or whatever that time period is, and it's no longer that honeymoon phase, so to speak, and real life is going on, then you choose to love somebody, even when you may not like them that day. So love is something that we choose to do. I don't think it's a feeling or an emotion. Uh, we do have emotions because we fall in love with someone or, or, you know, during that first meeting and chemicals and all of those things that happen. But, but then you have to make that choice. But when someone abuses that, um, and continues to do some things. Like you said, you have to be accountable for your actions. So if someone is doing something over and over again, I don't think you get a divorce or love is enough to let you have somebody have a second chance or for, for you to, you know, try again. But there comes a point where you have to look at someone and say, your actions aren't changing and right. I can't continue down this path. Right. Well, and too, and I think again, getting back to, uh, this, I think this is a, a common, um, not not frailty, but I but it's an F word. <laughs> this is a common. Oh no, it's no not actually. Actually, it's not. It's a, it's a common misconception with men. I think is that love is really about the physical, and and there's not much else to it. So, um, it it's about how how the woman looks or how they dress or how cute they are or whatever. And they're not really able to understand for, for a variety of reasons. I mean, sometimes it's really not the man's fault. I mean, it could be, um, there are things that influence our lives in our upbringing, you know, that, uh, the, where we're not, we don't have the opportunity to learn really what love is. Right. So, and I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, but it's a misconception. So, or it's a misconception on the man's part. You so said I, it was an F word. I, I was wrong about the F word. Okay. It was an M word. All right. Um, but, uh, so men have this misconception about what love really is. I mean, that's, and I think that's a lot of times where the friction an F word, um, comes into play because women for the most part do understand the concept of what it means to love somebody far better than, than what men do. And well, I mean, here's the thing. I think men think love is sex and women think love is getting flowers and sweet cards. And both of those are complete bullcrap. That's not what love is. That's like what falling in love is in the beginning of those things. But true love is sticking it out through tough times. So we're certainly Absolutely. not telling somebody, oh, you should leave someone over things that are minimal or things that cause rough patches in life. But if someone has an affair over and over again and they choose not to make a correction in their actions and change their ways or they're, you know, habitually uh, or they're abusive, they're verbally abusive. Th these kinds right. of patterns are situations where no, in those situations, love is not enough because that person obviously staying with you as long as they have has already made that effort, that love choice, verb in action or love in action as that verb to to show you that love. And then there comes a point where you have to make a choice for what is going to keep you healthy mentally, physically, and emotionally. And that's where you have to say, no, love is not enough to stay when that situation has occurred. Right. And I'm going to, I want to say two more things. And then I think we have to move on. Um, number one, I don't think that if a person is saying, 
well, isn't love enough? I don't think they love you to begin with because you would be able to like, cause then what does that really mean? Like, because when you say you love somebody, there's something behind that. It can't just be a phrase or a sentence or a group of words put together, right? It has to have actions. It has to have actions behind it. You cannot just say you love somebody because that's, it's not just this emotional thing. Like you were saying earlier, the warm fuzzies and everything, when you're first starting to get to know each other, love is a practice of overcoming something that you're feeling inside about a person but there's some connection that you have to them that allows you to overcome that. So like a parent, for example, I mean, that's, that's probably the best way I can, I can think of putting it, you know, as children, we do things that like tick our parents off all the time. There are myriads of ways that we fail them, whether it's getting in trouble at school or whatever, but they never kick us out of the house or they don't like disown us. They're, you know, they're always there for us and whatever. And so translating that into a relationship and especially one where, if it's a second marriage or there's a blended family or whatever, there's a lot of things that you really have to get your heart in a place where you say, okay, if I love this person, then I've got to figure out a way to, to deal with this. You know, do I got to, I've got to sacrifice something. I've got to compromise somewhere, you know, things like that. Well, certainly. And that's where you talk about love, you know, love is patient, kind, all of these things. And, you know, when you take a vow, then it talks about how, you, you stick through the sick, the financial, all these different situations. Right. So that's why it, it does. It goes back to not the circumstances, but but the habitualness of whatever the, those actions are. Right. And 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 the other thing, the second thing I would say is it doesn't have to even be something that's that serious where you're talking about abuse or adultery or, you know, whatever. It could be just plain out um, ignoring somebody or not valuing them and their presence in your life, you know, that's, I mean, that could be a form of abuse, I guess, but well, um, I think it's just where someone, it's just where you can't tell whether this person cares about you or not. Well, it's, and it's about communication. So if you're not communicating with someone, um, on a regular basis, then you're going to find yourself in that kind of a circumstance. And so it's important to, you know, seek counseling for those types of things. And hopefully they're resolved before you ever reach that type of a circumstance. Right. All right. Question two. Question two comes from Layla from New Jersey. She wants to know what to do about a stepson who is being disrespectful and the step parent or her husband is not um, doing anything about it, is just completely ignoring it. Do you want to start or? Well, I mean. First of all, we have very little information of what that disrespect is and things like that. So whether it's been a pattern or right, ongoing or and age or anything like that. So right. when you send in questions, send us as much information as possible. It will help us to answer those questions. But um, I would say, you know, my first thing is, have you discussed this with your with your husband? Um, communication is of utmost importance. So making sure that they understand what's going on, if it's been not being done in front of them, um, if it is being done in front of them and they're completely ignoring that, then by all means, we need to make sure that we sit down, have a conversation and explain to them how it makes you feel. And I think it's really important when you talk about these kinds of situations that you don't do them right when they happen necessarily, especially if it's a touchy subject, but that you take uh, an opportunity to sit down when there's no distractions 
and make sure both people are really calm so that you aren't getting off to a bad start. But but first of all, talk about it. Secondly, ask them to have a conversation. Um, I don't know if we've mentioned before. If not, I'll mention it again. But we always disciplined our own children um, since we've been married so that there would be less conflict. So the you know, we, we just have found that if I take care of any kind of discipline with my children and Stephen takes care of any type of discipline with his children, it just works much better for our relationship with each other's children. And so I think that's also important. Well, yeah. And, and approaching it from, from that perspective is um, I would say disarming because children as lovely and <laughs> as wonderful as they are, uh, they can be very manipulative and, and they will play you if they get the opportunity to do so a lot of times. So, um, so handling discipline that way, I think also, uh, it doesn't give a child any kind of ammunition, um, for lack of a better term. Um, and, uh, the other thing I would say too, is, is, is in having those conversations about, um, disrespectful, uh, stepchildren, um, do not do it in front of the child. And, you know, make sure that you try your best to not show any kind of emotion in front of the child. Um, because again, I think that, that, that will give that child some sort of leverage, you know, um, uh, against you on some level, um, have those conversations in private and, you know, try to, try to explain, you know, like Lee was saying, you know, exactly how this is bothering you and, and how it makes you feel. And, uh, you know, try to come to some sort of, of compromise of, of how to deal with it. Because if it's not, if it's something that doesn't get dealt with, it's just going to fester and, and get worse as, as the, as time goes by. Right. And really how to deal with it. Like you said, how to, you, you don't just say, how are we going to deal with this, but what's going to happen exactly. So if you're right. in a room together and the person is, you know, the child's talking back to you and being disrespectful then you specifically say the next time that happens, as soon as they do it, I would really appreciate it if you would say, you know, Thomas, you're not going to you're not going to speak to her that way. It's disrespectful. We wouldn't speak to our teachers that way or your mother that way. And we're not going to speak to, you know, to to to, the, to my wife that way or to your stepmom that way. So understanding that that's exactly how you're going to do something. Also, you know, depending on how long these people have been married, how um, knew this relationship is can also make a big difference. I know that what I consider disrespect may not be what you consider disrespect when we were first together. Sure. So yeah, we, we the, did have that. We did have that. Uh, right. So the way that we deal with, you know, I, my children always said, yes, ma'am and no, ma'am. They were, um, they never, uh, they didn't raise their voice to me. Like these were just things I hadn't allowed from birth. So even as right. teens, uh, adults, they don't do that. So I think it, it's important to understand that everybody comes from a different background and we have to make sure that we're communicating in the same, you know, realm of understanding as well. So, yeah. So the other thing to think about, too, is that men um, just instinctively want to be in charge of things and want to have a level of authority. And so I think it's important to communicate that. Um, that's not what you're trying to do as a woman or as a mother is, is trying to take away any type of power or authority, um, from your husband or, um, from your boyfriend. It's just the fact that you want to do the best thing 
for the child. You also want to make sure the child's not going to be disrespectful. And you also want to do the best thing for your relationship. And, you know, it goes without saying that these types of relationships where you have stepchildren, you have a blended family, um, you have different males and females in a child's life. Unfortunately, the dynamics change drastically. So you can't handle those types of problems. And, and you have problems that you normally wouldn't have in a first time marriage, you know, parent child relationship. So you're going to have to find a different way to navigate those issues in order to make sure that your relationship stays intact. And I think that's what that's what Lee and I have done um, successfully. I will be honest with you and say it wasn't easy to have that conversation. It wasn't easy for me to hear from her that that's what she desired and that's what needed to happen. But in wanting the relationship to work and wanting the best for everybody involved, I had to realize that that's the way that this had to work. And it wasn't about me. It wasn't about trying to make me less of a man or less of a father. It was about realizing that this, this relationship was different and it needed to be handled differently. So, right. I totally agree. And just learning that over time is natural. And and if you have little children and they come into your life early, then dual discipline may be completely uh, acceptable and the best thing to do because they look at you as a, a parent in their life completely. Right. It's right. more dealing with preteens and teens when, when that can become an issue. Especially boys. Especially boys, yeah. Boys are, yeah, don't like to be told what to do by another man for <laughs> sure. All right, so that's it for this week. Thank you so much for those that submitted questions. We look forward to chatting with you again on the next episode. I'm Stephen. And I'm Lee. And this has been the 10 Days and Counting Podcast. The 10 Days and Counting Podcast is recorded by us, hosted by us, edited by us, and produced by us in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Please understand that we are not licensed professionals. Our advice is based on our own life experience and what we believe to be our own common sense. If you find yourself in a serious or dangerous situation, please consider professional help. That doesn't necessarily mean like mental help. A lot of times that's what that phrase means, but it could be a lawyer, straining order, someone professional with a license or a badge.